Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Hello and welcome to The Intelligence from The Economist. In London, I'm Jason Palmer. And in New York, I'm John Fassman. Every weekday, we provide a fresh perspective on the events shaping your world. In a few places in the world, deliveries arrive by drone. But for the most part, local laws restrict how far they're allowed to go. We hear about the ambitious trial of a drone superhighway in the skies to connect a number of British cities. And when Piralada Sukawat, a Thai pop star, started rapping about problems with her home country, a wave of online abuse followed. She left Thailand, but that hasn't stopped her from speaking out. First up, though. In November, America heads to the polls. Halfway through Joe Biden's presidential term, all 435 seats in the House of Representatives and one-third of the Senates are up for grabs. Usually, the party of the president in power does poorly in the midterms. And this year doesn't look like an exception. The outlook for Democrats has inched upward recently, but they're still probably going to lose the House and possibly the Senate, too. Now, there will be lots of news between now and Election Day. This week, the Senate passed historic climate legislation, and the FBI executed a search warrant on Mar-a-Lago, Donald Trump's Florida home. These events, along with others in the coming months, could, of course, impact November's elections. But as well as following the latest news, we wanted to take a step back and look at the broader forces influencing power and politics in America. Between now and Election Day, we're going to different House districts around the country, each chosen to illuminate a salient theme in American politics. Today, in the first of our midterm series, we're looking at Republican efforts to expand their appeal to non-white voters, especially Hispanics. Long seen as reliable Democrats, Hispanic voters in recent years have been shifting rightward. That brings us to an unassuming strip mall in Doral, Florida, adjacent to Miami, and part of the newly drawn 26th district. Uh, we have different layers to the government. Empezamos con la parte municipal, the municipal, las ciudades. Sitting alongside a smoke shop and a Chinese takeout, the Republicans' Hispanic Community Center stands out, with flags of Latin American countries festooned across the ceiling and plastered on the walls. They have, mem- uh, they have council members, miembros del consejo local, tienen alcaldes, they have mayors. Here, the GOP is holding classes for immigrants, mostly from South America and the Caribbean, to help prepare them for their citizenship tests. In Florida, we have county court judges, circuit court judges, and then we have the district courts. The class was taught by Abel Carvajal, a recent college graduate from nearby Hialeah with an infectious passion for American history. 
The room was pretty crowded for a Thursday night. Students spread out across multiple tables. A lot of them drank little cups of incredibly strong Cuban coffee. They were curious, engaged, they were talkative, and they were enthusiastic about the prospect of becoming citizens. Uh, that's a great class. Yeah, it was amazing. The professor is super professional. He knows By the end of the month, it'll be five years since Ovidio arrived from Cuba. He's 23, so he just missed out on public school in America. I'm not only coming here free, and it's a citizen club, which is a great benefit to be an American citizen. Also, you know, to know how this country works. And although the class was held at a Republican community center, it was largely factual and apolitical. There was no hard sell. There was no discussion at all of the upcoming election. These classes help their students, of course. But they also help Republicans expand their reach. They're being held in battleground states, including Texas, Georgia, and Nevada. In promotional materials, Republicans say they're intended to help future voters. And of course, Republicans hope they'll vote a certain way. And Ovidio, for one, is sold. Right now, you know, as I was able to see what's going on in the country, that makes me more Republican than Democrat. They, like, give you the maximum of freedom, you know, possible that you can have. You're free to do everything. And it's not just civics classes in a strip mall in South Florida. Nationally, the GOP is working hard to increase its voter pool, especially with Hispanics. Now, it might be tempting to dismiss this as a fool's errand. Hispanics have traditionally been a Democratic constituency, and many thought the anti-immigration turn taken by Republicans during the Trump era would only further that trend. But from 2016 to 2020, Donald Trump's share of the Hispanic vote increased from 29% to 37%. And that's according to a Democratic-aligned political data firm. That shift was particularly strong in Florida, and especially here in Miami-Dade County. That trend looks set to continue. In June, Myra Flores became the first Mexican-born congresswoman in history. I was born in Burgos, Tamaulipas, Mexico. Now I am living my American dream. She represents a district along the Texan border with Mexico that's 85% Hispanic. As the wife of a border patrol agent, I pray for his safety now more than ever. And she's a pro-life, anti-vaccine mandate Republican. Because we must secure our borders and keep our families safe. President Reagan said once, uh, Hispanics are Republicans. Uh, it's just that they don't know. Now they're knowing. Hispanics identify much more with our values and principles as Republicans than with those of uh, the Democrats. And the other Jaime Flores is the Hispanic Communications Director for the RNC and is unrelated to the new representative from Texas. He attributes much of his party's success to cultural issues. I'm talking about family. I'm talking about faith. We believe in life. We believe in the in, in market economy. We believe in uh, the American way of life. And we're very, very concerned that some of those socialist policies and uh, regimes that we came, came to this country fleeing from are, are becoming part of the institution of the Democratic Party. And we have seen those things failing in our countries in Latin America. We have seen that movie. We don't want to see it again. For all the Republicans' recent successes, it should be said that Jaime's job is to sell the party and that most Hispanics do still vote Democratic. And, of course, Florida is a bit of an outlier when it comes to Hispanic politics. 
across the country, Donald Trump improved his margins among Hispanics by an estimated eight percentage points between 2016 and 2020. But when you look at Miami and the surrounding areas, Trump improved his margins by closer to 20 points. And that was part of the reason that Florida, which is usually quite competitive in presidential elections, just wasn't in 2020. Idris Kaloon is The Economist's Washington bureau chief. The reason for that is that a lot of Hispanics in Florida come from places like Cuba and Venezuela and Colombia, where their experiences with left-wing socialism and authoritarianism have been particularly scarring. And so when Republicans say that Democrats are socialists, those attacks seem to work really well. And in border districts, like the one Maya Flores represents, attacks on Democrats' border policy also work well, because many Hispanic voters care about immigration policy, but not as much as or in the same way as Democrats think they should. Most supported Donald Trump's border closure during COVID, for instance. And most care far more about the same things other Americans care about. Jobs and the economy. Hispanics aren't single-issue voters around the border. And you have to remember also that um, when we talk about Hispanics who are voting, there are oftentimes people who have been here for two or three generations and who often identify as white American. And so the same sort of politics that, that apply to them have started to apply to Hispanics. Cultural concerns also play a part. The Democratic Party being perceived as overly progressive and out of touch can really be disenchanting to voters. One microcosm of this disconnect between Hispanic voters and the progressives who are largely in charge of the Democratic narrative is over the word Latinx, which is a more gender-inclusive term for Latino. But if you actually poll Hispanic voters, only 2% of them say that they use the term, and 40% of them say that uh, it offends them. And it's not just a phenomenon among Hispanics. Progressives have also had high-profile down-ballot losses with other groups. They lost a referendum on defunding the police in Minneapolis, in large part due to rejection from African Americans. And in San Francisco, Asian American voters led a successful recall effort for several progressive school board members. And basically what this demonstrates is that American politics is becoming slightly less polarized along racial lines and much more polarized along educational lines. Those who have college degrees, which tend to skew white in this country, are are moving towards the Democratic Party. And those without, which includes a lot of people of color, seem to be moving towards the Republican side. Thomas Jefferson uh, was the third president of the Republic. Back in Doral, how this district will vote isn't much in doubt. It's almost 75% Hispanic, but largely Cuban and Venezuelan, which are solidly Republican constituencies. Republicans won't have that sort of advantage everywhere. But they're working hard to peel away Hispanic votes from Democrats nationally, and they're succeeding. They don't have to flip the Hispanic vote overall to win big. They just have to erode Democrats' margins. And that starts with showing up and giving Hispanic Americans a reason to vote Republican. For the teacher, Abel Carvajal, a Miami-Dade native, it's a natural match. I think that the Republican Party and the conservative movement has more respect for the fact that this is a country made up of 340 million people now. It's a continental nation. That's something I brought up a lot during the course. We were from Florida to the North Pole, and, and I think the Republican Party respects that a lot more than the Democrats do. For more coverage of the midterms in the run-up to November, listen to Checks and Balance, our podcast on American politics. In the most recent episode, Idris and I discussed one of the year's most important Senate races. Look for Pennsylvania Mania, wherever you cast your podcasting ballot.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since they started to really take off a decade or so ago, small drones have transformed from casual plaything to a technology with major commercial potential. It's not just sweeping cinematography or their growing military use. Drones inspect infrastructure, they survey crops, they transport medical supplies. In some places, they deliver packages and pizza. But for most jurisdictions, there's one major problem in the flight path to full commercial potential. In order to prevent accidents, uh, particularly collisions with crewed aircraft, drone flights are currently strictly limited by aviation regulators. Paul Markilly is The Economist's innovation editor. But there is a way of overcoming this, and that's to get the drones to fly along a superhighway. And now Britain has given the go-ahead for one of the world's biggest. So what will this superhighway look like? Well, the superhighway is called Project Skyway, and it's a series of pathways in the sky, 265 kilometres or 165 miles, that links together a number of British cities, Reading, Oxford, Milton Keynes, Cambridge and Coventry. And it's a corridor. And along this corridor, drones will be allowed to fly almost freely. Well, I understand the the concept of giving them the space to do so, but how exactly does it work? What are the limitations? Well, the difficulty with drones is you are not allowed to fly one beyond the visual line of sight of the operator. So that means you need to be able to see the aircraft you're controlling. Now, the great benefit of a drone is it can fly out of sight autonomously. So this greatly limits the amount of flights and missions they can complete. Now, Britain's Civil Aviation Authority, like other regulators around the world, allow drone flights, but they're saying drones, in order to fly freely and beyond the line of sight of their operator, they must be able, just as you would with an aircraft with a crew on board, to identify any problems and take action. Well, drones, that's a bit difficult because the pilots on the ground may not be able to see anything, hasn't got radar on board the drone necessarily. I mean, you could put equipment inside a drone to allow it to identify other aircraft and take evading action and such kit is being developed but it's expensive and it would make drones which are usually fairly small machines a lot heavier restricting their use so the idea behind a superhighway is that instead of having the drone detecting any conflict with other air traffic the superhighway itself operates the drone. So the drone effectively will be taken over by the highway and flown automatically by the highway, not necessarily the operator. The operator will be kept in the loot and if necessary, can take over manual control if instructed to do so. But the drone will leave and arrive at its destination under automatic control, linked into the air traffic control, avoiding any aircraft that are around. So how did we get to this point? How is this the solution to the problem at hand? 
or drone operators have steadily been pushing for more and more flights beyond their visual line of sight. And regulators have been allowing a few, such as the NHS has been flying chemotherapy drugs from Portsmouth to the Isle of Wight. But these things are normally done on a very restricted basis. They take a lot of planning. There's normally a lot of red tape involved. And sometimes nearby airspace has to be closed off. So it's not something that you can do very quickly. And it's very limited. So the idea is a drone operator could be able to take off along this superhighway and just fly along without getting special permissions. And this seems to be a system that works. It was tried out with a eight-kilometre drone corridor in the Thames Valley, and that's part of an automated air traffic management system. And it's been tested, and it shows it can be done. So this is a step up in that to try it out on a larger scale. And do you foresee any stumbling blocks here, or is this just the the, the first of a wave of this kind of thing? Is, is Britain pioneering this indeed for the world? It is being tried out um, on a similar line through other countries. For instance, there are routes flying medicines in corridors across Africa, but nothing quite on this scale with this superhighway objective. The interesting thing is, you know, what are our neighbours going to think about it? You know, when you live under a superhighway, will you have drones buzzing over the top of you every day? That's to be seen. And by some estimates, there's nearly 900,000 commercial drones that could be operating in Britain by 2030. That's a lot of traffic. So how do you see this playing out and being deployed? Who's going to be using it? Well, there's lots of companies around at the moment who are already using drones. Royal Mail, for instance, are talking of, what, 500-odd drones to help deliver mail around the country, particularly to remote communities. National Health Services, emergency treatment for drugs, even organs for transplantation, their sort of health uses. There's also lots of surveying uses and the need to monitor overhead electric lines, traffic monitoring, and also particularly at the moment, you know, we've got a very dry season at the moment, a lot of fire watching can be done on this. There's multiple uses for them. Anything a helicopter can do, a drone can do cheaper. And and these aren't toy drones. They aren't necessarily the sort that used by amateur photographers and film crews to go out and take pictures of things. Some of them are sort of fairly chunky devices, and they don't necessarily all hover. Some will take off and fly like a small aeroplane with an engine at the back of the front and a set of wings. There's a variety of different machines and many different companies, and there's a lot of use out there. So I think if this works, it will be extended. So you could see drone highways, a significant sort of infrastructure in Britain, bit like our motorways, really, except for aircraft that fly remotely. Paul, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Jason. The only prison that binds us is inside us. That's Dystopia, a song by Piralata Sukuat better known by her stage name, Pyra. The Thai pop star has taken to TikTok, where she uses her music to call out inequities and what she calls the dictatorship regime. Welcome to Thailand dictatorship regime, where tanks are spent on submarines with dying on the streets. Healthcare is not priority. But her brand of music has come at a price. After receiving a torrent of online abuse, she left the country to escape Thailand's conservatism. Well, Pyra started singing at the age of nine, actually. And ironically, her first song was a nationalist song. 
A Hymn to Thai Mothers, which is played in Thai shopping malls to this day. Tom Vater writes about Asia for The Economist. But since then, her career has grown, and now she makes dystopian pop music. And in 2020, Pyra took to TikTok, and she was less subtle about her criticism of the Thai government. She didn't think anyone would care about her videos, but she was wrong. So what happened? Her videos were watched and shared by hundreds of thousands, and in their comments on the clips, many viewers expressed similar feelings of disillusionment with Thailand or with other countries' governments. But not everyone was a fan of what she had to say, and abuse also flooded in, not just on TikTok, but on all of Pyra's accounts. She feared that she'd been designated a threat to national security by Thai officials and that these online barbs were the work of government-paid trolls. In any case, the conservatism of Thai society had just become too much for her, and wary of further retribution, she announced in March that she'd moved to London. Freedom of speech is getting lower and lower in Thailand. It's starting to follow the pattern of China, actually. I think if they want somebody in jail, they can always find a reason to get you in, into trouble, like no matter if you said or did something wrong or like you're not in the wrong at all. Yeah, if they want to call you in, they will. So there's like no clear line. That is why I kind of want to step out of that country. Did she have good reason to be concerned about the backlash? Yes, she had reason to be cautious. Thailand's government has often sought to silence critics. For example, there's a hip-hop collective called Rap Against Dictatorship, and they attracted the ire of the authorities with tracks such as Patet Kumi, which means What My Country's Got. This song lambasted corruption and the stifling of free speech. In 2020, Dechaton Bamruang who is one of the group's members, was arrested and charged with sedition after appearing at a pro-democracy protest. He was released, but a report compiled by a clutch of NGOs suggests his phone may have been infected by spyware. A Thai court then recently banned Rap Against Dictatorship's latest song because it criticizes the monarchy. But they're not the only ones. There's another group called Fayen, which fled abroad in 2014 after speaking out against Thailand's Les Majesté laws, which is an act that can itself incur a prison term. And that folk band has since been granted asylum in France. And what does the Thai government say about all this? Natapanu Nopakun, a spokesman for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, insists that the government is very supportive of Thai arts and culture in any form and any kind of content. But at the same time, the government spokesman said that there is a line, that everything has a line. Has all of this changed Pyra's approach to to making music and to being an activist? I understand that Pyra understood the risks from both official and freelance sources when releasing her denunciations on TikTok. Her single, Bangkok, came out in 2020. And though she's called the song a tribute to the political activists who fought bravely and sacrificed so much for the cause of freedom and democracy, the lyrics are deliberately oblique. At that point, Pyra says she's still careful not to produce material that would eliminate her straight away. But now she's in the UK, she feels able to express herself as an artist freely. 
I'm very known for my RBF, which stands for resting bitch face. I even wrote a song about it, so like I almost like don't smile at all, and it became like kind of like my branding as well. But here, I noticed that I smile way more, and that's like very very surprising. So like deep down inside, I think I my like my subconscious, my soul is probably like way happier being liberated in like a country with free speech. And Tom, how is her music being received outside of Thailand? The singer has earned plaudits for her unique brand of what she calls dystopian pop and idiosyncratic fashion sense, as well as for her determination to expose Thailand's ills. She's been working with Sean Hamilton, who is a Grammy-nominated producer. And in January, the British music website NME chose Pyra as its best solo act from Asia. Forbes recently selected her as one of its emerging Asian entertainers under 30. And now that she's safely ensconced in Britain, she wants to make sure that Western countries pay attention to what's happening in her homeland. All these inequality topic actually like got me very emotional. Like I get frustrated, I get angry, and I feel the urge to help other people. Yeah, because I found out that my true happiness comes from helping others. So I'm very happy to keep using my voice for the voiceless. Tom, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. That's all for this episode of The Intelligence. Let us know what you think of the show. You can get in touch at podcasts at economist.com. And you can subscribe to The Economist at economist.com slash intelligence offer. The link is in the show notes. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.